you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The Around the NFL podcast doesn't want to watch the Bengals in January. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. I am still not Dan Hansis. I'm Colleen Wolf, and I am joined by a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, bros? Hey, Colleen. <laughs> bros? How's everybody doing? Just a bunch of bros watching football. Great weekend. <laughs> I feel like my eyes are going to be fused to the television soon based on between making a murderer and mm. all of the games this weekend. I really have not walked around at all. Slightly been, unhealthy. It has been a very unhealthy <laughs> I weekend. I want to a little spoiler out there before you just start talking, making a murder. I, I know. I know. I won't. I won't because it's really good. Spoiler. They made the murder. They did. <laughs> all right. So we have a great show for you guys today. Dan Hansis is still. Uh, oh, look, look, there's the awkward ISO cam too back. Awesome. Oh, can't so escape that. That game. is great. Happy that's back. We are um, missing Dan Hansis. He is still on his island vacation getaway, and um, we can't wait for him to come back. Wow. Dan, please come back. <laughs> we need you here. <laughs> please. Um, so while we wait for him, let's check in first behind the glass here with Brandon. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, I feel like we've reached a new level. We've been um, yes. slacking. We've been texting. Yeah, been we really great communication. Our communication. Brandon, who is easier to work with, Colleen or Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the real question: Is Dan going to listen back to the podcast? So can I say Colleen? You can and say whatever Dan you want. Answers. You're going to pay the price. I feel like if Dan listens, then I'll kind of listeners be in are now going to tell on you for that. Statement, right. So it doesn't matter. It's true. <laughs> we have You're had. A lot, a lot of great games this weekend. So many games Have to get we? to. Yes. What do we think before we dive into like each game by game, which we'll go through? Do w how would you rate this as a as a wild card weekend in general? What on a scale of one to ten? A C plus. I feel like oh. the Bengals Steelers game might have saved the entire week. Yes. Yeah, that's true. But even that game was was kind of a dud for three quarters. Although that last quarter made up for it. Overall, it though, I feel like I needed a little more. That made the it football though. wasn't so great. Yeah, but that game alone is a game that I'll remember for like 25, 30 years. I yep. could be dead at that As point. As will so. Bengals fans. Yeah, so it's <laughs> like that That alone rises the whole weekend above. The rest of it was kind of junk. I kind of like the Seattle-Minnesota game. That was oh, that had its moments. I think yesterday was way better than today just because of West of Us, really. Oh, it was West phenomenal, was and I'm that. still downright giddy. Yes, so we have so much coming up on today's show. We're going to go through all the wild card games, and of course – the Packers offense, they look like they're back. We have the Seattle Vikings, and that was a thriller at the end. And every single fan in the stands there, frozen. Mm. And, of course, the Bengals, they lose another game. So let's get right to it with the first game on our list. And we have 
with the Washington Redskins and the Green Bay Packers. The Packers came into Washington with many questions about their offense, a lot of doubts about that defense, and um, they emerged as winners. 35-18, to 18, the Packers offense. They finally came together. Greg, they looked confident. They scored four touchdowns. Are they back? I think they're back, at least being respectable. They had a good opponent to face this weekend. The Redskins' defense, I think, was the worst defense of the eight that we saw play this weekend. They were below average all year. Uh, in the secondary, they were a bit of a mess. And once they couldn't get pressure on Rodgers after the first quarter, they put an extra uh, offensive lineman to help out, give him a little extra time, and, and he started looking like Aaron Rodgers again. I'm not going to say they're back, but if you can score 32 points in five drives and you get through a road playoff game and you have a good defense, you are always going to have a fighting chance when you have Aaron Rodgers. I think that we saw that against Washington, and now they've got to step up in class against Arizona. I understand why you said they're back and then uh, two minutes later backtracked and said, I don't think they're back. I didn't say <laughs> I don't think they're back. I'm I understand because this offense is quarter to quarter. At the end of the first quarter, Aaron Rodgers was, th was throwing without his feet. Throwing with poor fundamentals, they looked like the same offense for the last three months where they couldn't get anything mo moving, and then for the final three quarters, he looked like September again. 11 yards in the first four drives, and then they scored, as I said, 32 points, I think, in their next five drives. So it's not so much just about what happened today. I think it's about maybe they can feel good about themselves. And the defense has been consistent. For the most part, the defense has played well at the end of the year, and I think you saw that again today. I mean, we this reminds me of that Cowboys game where Mike McCarthy finally has – I think the reason he took over the play calling was he wants the ground game to come to life. They want to be that kind of tough, you know, ground-first team. And today, they're running through holes and off the edge where there's not a Redskins player within 15 yards of anyone. And it was that, embarrassing on that front. That yeah. will be different in Arizona. It will you, be. We were waiting for sort of this switch to flip, and we kind of joked about it the last couple weeks, I think, sort of waiting and waiting, and then we sort of found it against this okay uh, Redskins defense. The run defense looked really soft today, especially in the second half. You saw James Starks and Eddie Lacy just with these chunk plays. If you're watching and, on YouTube, look at God. Eddie Lacy look at rumbling. This. Lower your shoulder and run him over, Lacy. That play specifically we were all watching in the newsroom on uh, over at NFL now and it was like he I thought it was in slow motion watching it was run. in slow motion well yeah. he was the rest of the play. I mean it's Lacey and it's Starks but it's also if you are watching on YouTube the lack of tackling there's no gang tackling there's no one around these running backs and look at that he's just running down the sideline with no one around him I mean a lot of teams would have looked good against the way the defense played for Washington today well but I think you have to give the Packers the credit for that. The Redskins haven't been great all year in general, but they've played a little better on defense lately. And ultimately, they played good in the first quarter, and they were dominated by a team that kind of exerted their will. I mean, it was 142 yards on the ground. Randall Cobb ran the ball five times. It was a little bit of everything. Aaron Rodgers getting rid of the ball quickly. I mean, they dominated up front. I thought J.C. Treader is the left tackle of this game, and they take the early safety, and you're thinking this is going to be – a long day, but ultimately Washington, who has been pretty good up front, I would say, on both sides of the ball lately, got pushed around. And the Packers also, they were really good in the red zone too, and that was sort of an issue for them. I think they were four of five in the red zone, and the last three games I think they were two of 11 in the red zone, which is horrific. But also just to see Adams, he converted all four of his targets, and him and Cobb just together, it was nice to see them sort of make some plays and maybe get that confidence that they needed. Had to have been Adams' best game of the season. The yeah. offseason MVP finally showed up and then hurts his knee during the second half and never came back. I think for me, I mean, we what, what I was expecting, and we talked during the week and there was a lot of, you know, reverse backtracking on Twitter about this today was the concept that Kirk Cousins was the better quarterback right now <laughs> than Aaron Rodgers. Well, we laughed, but we did a segment on NFL Network where half of the half of the group said that was the case going into this well, game. Well, he said the better offense. I don't think anyone was saying better that. offense, but I mean, so that that's not the case after this after this affair. At the same time, I mean, that the, what happened was the explosive Washington air attack that we've seen for the past month vanished outside of Jordan Reed, who was a monster for part of this game and probably kept it from being a bigger blowout. But Deshaun Jackson, 17 yards. Jamison Crowder, 15 yards. They just they didn't get it going today. Deshaun yeah. Jackson also had another boneheaded play. Nonchalantly oh my God, that was awful. into the pylon without putting the ball across the pylon and basically cost the offense four points because 
Green Bay's defense had a really impressive goal line stand there. It reminded flashbacks. It reminded me of that play his rookie year with the Eagles, and yep. yeah, it wasn't as egregious because he didn't throw it away. But why is he holding the ball back there to begin with? Why is yeah. he running like that? Well, that was that was a huge play in the game, and I I think you can blame Deshaun for not putting the ball out and, and getting in there, but you can also blame the Washington Redskins for not scoring at first and goal at the six yard line. And I think this is why this wasn't an easy game to just summarize. Oh, he, he blew it for them. He blew it. It was everyone. It was Alfred Morris getting stuffed on a couple plays up the middle uh, where they couldn't run the ball. They haven't been able to run the ball for most of the game. It was Kirk cousins taking a, a pretty unforgivable delay of the game on third and goal at the two or three yard line. Then they're back at the eight and it was ha ha Clinton Dix of the Packers defense who should get some credit for making two nice defensive plays there uh, on the goal line. And for the most part, the Packers good defensive players did step up. Clinton Dix had some big plays. Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews yeah. did. Nick Perry. I mean, everyone kind of took Mike Neal hit a big game. This is a team I, – I know they're not as good as the, the Cardinals, but I do think they're a team with enough players that if they get enough of those players – that can just make game-changing plays, you know, they can have a really good top game if, if they had everything fall into line. Was anyone surprised by the outcome? Not uh, terribly. I, well, I, I was surprised in the fact that Washington, you know, at one point they're up, what, 11 nothing, and yeah. they end up scoring 18 points by the end of the game. The way that it started, I thought, you know, th there was definitely some chemistry with, with Cousins and Jordan Reed, and I thought he was going to be this, but Reed would be the story of the game potentially here. Michael Hyde did a great job yeah, on him. Yeah, I mean, it fizzled out, and so that surprises me. I, you know, I guess at one point Green Bay was going to do this, but it was four days ago that we were all saying, you know, I'm not, I don't buy this Green Bay offense anymore. I was saying that. And so for them to go out and put 35 points up, and now we're talking about them competing with the Cardinals. I am surprised. I don't think they're going to hang with Arizona. I, I agree with that. But to me, this Redskins team was mediocre all year. This was not a great game for them. But they didn't beat a winning team all year. Kirk Cousins has actually never beat a winning team for what it's worth in his entire career, which seems a little crazy. In is Matthew Stafford yet? <laughs> I think he finally, <laughs> finally he did. Finally got over the hump this what year. What was the Packers? And I, and I think this Cousins game was typical. I've heard – you know, I. I Heard a little bit of criticism for Cousins popping up, and I just was thinking, this is basically what he's been all year. I don't think it was a particularly good Kirk Cousins game, but I don't think it was a particularly bad one. You're going to have a couple mistakes. He fumbled the ball twice. They lost one. You know, he could have been intercepted one or twice. That'll happen. But he also hit some receivers in stride. To me, he wasn't really the reason they were winning games. I think it was a whole team effort in the coaching. And I definitely don't think he was the reason they lost this game. It was just kind of a middle of the road Kirk Cousins game and they needed everyone around him to be better. Yeah, he was sacked four times in this game. I mean, there was a lot of pressure in his face. Six. And he, six times. And he didn't really deal with it very well, well at all. I think if, the, if there's a criticism for Kirk Cousins, it's that it, that's it. Not having a good feel of when the pressure is around him. He takes, his sack rate is one of the lowest in the, in the NFL though. Gets rid of the ball quickly. He does. Well, yeah, so this was this was one of those games where I was kind of – I was almost hoping, and I know that's weird as an Eagles fan, but I sort of wanted the Redskins to beat them just because of all the, the storylines that went into this game and everything that we were sort of talking about heading into the game about the Packers offense just not doing what we're used to them doing. But, of course, just like Seattle came in and they sort of – in the Seattle game, and we'll get to that in a minute, but it was sort of reminiscent of that in the fact that both teams looked like they might lose the game in the beginning, and then mm. things turned around yeah. for them. Well, Sessler was rooting against it. He's done with this Packers team. I mean, that's true. Well, no, the negativity. He's just like, I am I'm sick done with of James. Well, no, James <laughs> well, hold on. <laughs> what Greg is couching and hiding away is the fact that he feels the exact same way about the Redskins. I don't couch that years. at all. I was happy to. Well, in that statement, you were you were flipping it no, in that way. Both what? of these things are true, Greg. The last thing he wants is the Redskins to succeed in any way. Yes. And Mark, <laughs> you were just exasperated with the Packers You're and find them a boring it. watch. What I want, I well, they were not boring today. I what I when when Eddie Lacy got going, that I can watch. When it's when it's six yard pass patterns to. James Jones, who will wear the hooded sweatshirt in who, an 87-degree game. will be shut down by Patrick Peterson next That's year. the thing. What I want is the best NFC championship we can get. There's a lot of trash teams in these playoffs. There There's are. no way around it. And I don't say that about the Packers, but I just want the two best teams, and I don't want that 
upset on any level. That's all. Are you saying the Redskins are a trash team? No, they're not. I think actually the Redskins can come out of this game. Who are these trash teams you're speaking <laughs> of? Well, they're in the AFC. One of them resides uh, in if Houston. If the team that <laughs> the Redskins are not a trash team, but they do not deserve to go or to go on two more levels with upset victories. I want I want to see the Carolina Panthers and the Arizona Cardinals and the rest of you get out of my face. You like throw, <laughs> who, who's the trash team then? If a nine and seven team in the second worst or the worst division in football that didn't beat a winning team all year isn't one of them. They're they're a mid level team. They're mid level. They've got something to work <laughs> with going in, and I, d- I don't just see got upgraded. No, because you know what? Coming into the season, I think we would have said Jay Gruden has got to be a top five candidate to get fired by a dysfunctional yeah. Redskins organization. And what they did overall is impressive, but they're not there yet. His not his at all. face on the sideline was was priceless at some point. He was <laughs> so upset, and I liked when they asked him in the post game. They were trying to give him the cheese of, "Aren't you proud of this team?" Um, you know, aren't there so many positives to come out of this year? And Gruden had the answer that I'm always thinking. He said, no, this is the playoffs, and you don't know when you're going to get back there, and you're trying to win the championship, and if your season ends, it's a huge disappointment. There's always this feeling when teams lose in the playoffs that had a surprising year, well, they're building something. Right. Now things are stable. Who knows? No one knows anything about the NFL. It could be a tire fire next year, and this is your chance. You're in the playoffs. You had a lead. You're at home. That can be a big moment in a lot of people's career, and and they fell flat. Yeah, you, if you're a Redskins fan at the end of the first quarter, you had to be flying. You had to be feeling great, really confident that your team was going to advance, and who knows what can happen once you get to the divisional round. Well, the same thing can be said for the Vikings fans. So let's mm. move on to that game. We have Seattle and Minnesota. The Vikings are one and done in the playoffs after a heartbreaking loss. They missed a chip shot, a 27-yard field goal with 26 seconds remaining in 25, negative 25-degree weather. Awful. So Blair Walsh, he's going to shoulder a lot of the blame for this one, and you can sort of hear the pain in his voice after the game. I can tell you this, it's my fault. I don't care whether you give me a watermelon hole. I, I should be able to put that through. And uh, I know Jeff did his job and Kevin did his job. And um, I'm the only one who didn't do my job there. So uh, that's on me. All right, so it is on him, but other things happened in the game. But first, let's cover that. A lot of laces out talk. Mark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that was a subplot in the, in the previous field goal that Blair Walsh had made. At one point, he had hit three, and they were up 9 nothing. And we were talking about Blair Walsh as the potential – MVP of this game if it ended in a 9-3 type score and he hit a 46-yarder I believe it was with the laces in facing him and it was money in the bank so but you know it was interesting that Jeff Feely other NFL kicker former NFL kicker said that Jay Feely that that is still a psychological impact when you see the laces facing you as a kicker but forget all that (laughs) if you're a Vikings fan here's what happened all week long and all season long you've been told that your team is just a fill-in wildcard-type entry that can't deal with the big boys, can't play with a team like Seattle and was going to get bombed in their own stadium. (laughs) And instead, they're a kick away, a chip shot away from doing what no one thought they could. And I have a very good friend who is a podcast listener, listens to every show, Eric Saez, goes to a ton of games in Minnesota. And, you know, when you have your friends texting you after these games and it's just an empty, they're lost because – this came out of nowhere, this right kind there. of heartbreaking, heartbreaking affair. And we've all felt them as fans. I feel for Minnesota's fan base. I don't know what else to say. I mean, what they did, they handled their business right up until the end. Very weird game. One of the weirdest games I've seen. I thought that they were going to win this game. And then the Adrian Peterson fumble in the fourth quarter. I mean, every, everybody is going to point at Blair Walsh. But to me, that was one of the things that really killed them. That was bigger. I mean, that, that, was, that was huge. That set up the field goal that won it ultimately for Seattle. Adrian Peterson has a history now of having big fumbles in the playoffs. He had three fumbles in the championship game against the Saints in 2009. I don't think I believe they recovered all those, but I don't care if you recover them. That's all just luck. If you fumble them, that's a problem. This was a huge uh, play in this game. Cam Chancellor deserves the credit for wrenching the ball uh, away from Peterson. I think the bigger problem was Peterson got the ball 23 times and they only ran for 45 yards. So the running game as a whole was not effective, and Norv Turner was so reliant on just sticking with it because they had a small lead in first down Peterson, second down Peterson, third da- you know, third and six, let's throw it. When Norv Turner was finally forced to actually throw the ball, put Jarek McKinnon in the game, 
uh, play a different style on the last drive, they go right down the field and set up uh, a p- potential game-winning field goal. So I, I think they were almost too conservative. Teddy Bridgewater played a pretty smart game, and I would have liked to see him get a few more chances to throw the ball. The best running back of his generation, the highest-paid running back of his in, in the NFL, doesn't play in crunch time. Right, they have Jerry Your, in your most important yeah. player doesn't play in the most important part of the game. How valuable is that? I well, think I think it says a lot. He led the league in, in fumbles. We're not saying Adrian Peterson is not a great running no, back. No, he's, he's a great – he is the best running back of his generation. And he's the best first and second down running back, I think, in the league. But, he's, you know, when when it's not working, you got to maybe switch switch up what's happening. I know the weather, obviously, is a huge factor in limiting. But, that, but this is a Vikings team that's good at throwing the ball short, and they were pretty good at it today. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater averaged more yards per attempt than Russell Wilson did in this he game. He played well today. But when the game's on the line and you have to have McKinnon in there and not Adrian Peterson, that's a problem. Also, McKinnon had that huge drop. I mean, Teddy's stats would have looked even better. His stats look good, but they would have been – even better if not for that drop. He hit 11 different receivers. I I still think, though, that the weather was a massive factor, and that was going to be one of our big posts at halftime because of the communication problems it caused for the Seahawks. You know, in the first half, five of the six timeouts for the both teams were called with 11 and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. I mean, it was it was chaos out there, and we saw Seattle never get on track. But really, it, it affected Minnesota, too. Whatever little passing game they seemed to have was that Seattle and Michael Bennett were just keyed up on that run in the entire way, and Adrian Peterson had nowhere to go. They were very patient. They just sat in their gaps, and wherever Adrian Peterson went, there was someone there to take him down. No I big think runs. Bennett and Averill have been the best 4-3 uh, defensive end tandem in the league all season, and they kind of dominated the line of scrimmage today. Neither of these defenses has anything to hang their heads about. No. No. But I agree that the the elements were a huge factor in this game. I mean, that was the story of the game, the elements. And the Seahawks' offense was sleepwalking for two and a half quarters until that botch snap, Russell Wilson, for the second playoffs in a row, turns a <laughs> negative play. He, Bill Belichick once explained it, that he's got this Roger Stahlbeck, uncanny, uncoachable ability to make the right decisions when a play breaks down. And Daryl Bevel told us that at the Super Bowl last year. What separates Russell Wilson from all the other scrambling quarterbacks is the rate at which he makes great decisions. And to me, there's a creativity about his game that, that does come up. And, you know, I know, Greg, you you said today the Seahawks are a really lucky team. They have a horseshoe up there. You know what? But well, no, term, but, no other quarterback in the NFL – no other quarterback in the NFL makes a hook slide to get that ball, gets up, and then throws that pass. I, yeah. I don't agree. Russell well, Wilson looked like the Russell Wilson that played the Packers last year for most of this game. Mm. They really only had one productive offensive drive, and that was it. And the rest, I, you, they looked a little bit lost, I thought. Right, I, pre- I give the weather a lot of that, though. I really do. I do, too, although a lot of it was timing. When he was late, on, when he had those – passes down the field that were short a lot of them was he just threw the ball really late and it wasn't all just arm strength there was one where he, he, he chucked it 50 yards in the second half to lock it. it looked like a perfect Russell Wilson type of pass but he just the timing wasn't there whatever it was it's hard to play when it's 25 deg- I, un, you know 25 under imagine. wind chill it was negative degrees at halftime that is the third coldest game in NFL history, but it wasn't a good Russell Wilson play. All I meant was they got the missed kick. I mean, at that point, that, they, has, that has nothing to do with it. They've had pixie dust trailing them for a couple of years. It's okay to say that, but you also have to say that no other quarterback makes that play. Oh, absolutely. And and their defense, for the most part, showed off their depth. I mean, they didn't give up a touchdown. Uh, Bennett was the wrecker. I mean, to me, he is the MVP of that defense this year. But Earl Thomas made a big play to end one drive. Cliff Averill, as you mentioned, made a big play. Bobby Wagner had a sack. Uh, Jeremy Lane broke up what looked like it could have been a, a long pass. Bruce Irvin had a second. Like, right. They're just so deep that they just take turns. And, and the Vikings only had, I think, 180 yards of offense. The Seahawks had about 30 or 40 more. Neither one was moving the ball up and down the field. But they, they had a great game. They were just waiting for their offense to finally wake up. And they did it in the fourth quarter for the second time in a, in a row in an NFC game. And they were, they were down 9 nothing going into the fourth quarter. And we can't forget about the Vikings defense and the pressure that they put on Russell Wilson because it was in his face all day. Everson Griffin, he's had a really good year. He was great today. And he was so good today. He played yeah. a really good game. I think Minnesota really wanted to say, you know, last time when they played Seattle and they were destroyed, half their defense and some of the most valuable players were not on the field. 
And I, I give them credit for, listen, Seattle, it had something to do with the weather, but it had a lot to do with Minnesota's defense as well today. They had a good game plan, and they took advantage of the elements, and that's fine. It so helped them. It slowed down the game. The it really Seahawks did. are an explosive offensive team. I mean, they are the number one scoring slowed team. Slowed down, down the game to an extreme degree. I mean, the Seahawks weren't the same offense. They were sleepwalking. It looked like Frankenstein they were moving around that slow. With that said, the Vikings, we I keep saying it, they're the same team week after week, and that was basically the team you saw today, and the elements did help them out for that style of play. But I think that's why Mike Zimmer just looked heartbroken on the press conference uh, podium after the game because this was his type of game, and they did play great on defense, and he was about to stick it in everyone's face. Uh, that they could take out that team like the Seahawks. Yeah, Kristen Michael, too, he he ran well today. So that was, I mean, if Marshawn Lynch, for some reason, if he's not back next week, then you can at least take solace in that. It yeah, feels like the Vikings outplayed the Seahawks for three and a half quarters at least. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy that. And the, I don't get and the that. Vikings ended up with 183 yards. That's the way they play. They get outgained by 50 yards in a game that it feels like they outplayed the other team. Yeah, I didn't think that. The Seahawks kept just having these 40-yard drives where they'd stall. They had the two fourth-down drives where they decided to go for it on fourth down instead of either kicking a long field goal or punting. They, they had a lot of drives that ended up with a whole lot of nothing even when they had some promise going. I mean, it, it looked like two pretty even teams, but the Seahawks, I don't think, uh, stole the game by any means. I yeah. mean, Walsh hit a 47-yarder and a 43-yarder when Seattle decided that Stephen Hauschka would not be ready to attempt a 46-yarder early in the game. I mean, I, I, again, and it's like Sage Rosenfels, the former uh, Vikings quarterback, tweeted that I know everyone on Twitter is going to want to like go burn Blair Walsh's house down, but I hate games like this that Please come don't down. Do that. Well, it comes down to the last player who makes that last mistake when the game was mistake ridden on offense by both teams, and he just said that Walsh is one of the most well liked guys in the locker room, handsome too. And I and I grew up with Ernest Biner taking this from people when in these games, some of these players that end up being the goat. They wouldn't even be there at the end of the game if it weren't for Blair Walsh. I mean, he made some money that's kicks, true. and they put it on his shoulders. And the last thing that happened, that, that's, and that's the NFL. That stuff just happens. All I could think, I thought that exact sort of thing when they're interviewing Cam Chancellor after the game. And I'm thinking, oh, that's an interesting person to ask. Because he was going to be the GOAT. He gave up uh, a big-time penalty. That was the biggest play of what would have been the game-winning drive covering Kyle Rudolph, and then he gave up a big play to Kyle Rudolph, and that's what put them in field goal range. But he ends up being the guy that Michelle Tafoya talks to afterwards because he also <laughs> was the guy that caused the fumble on Adrian Peterson. So all because of Blair Walsh's kick, it's like Chancellor's either a goat or, or a hero, and that was similar to a lot of plays that Chancellor's failed to make this year. Well, and Blair Walsh's kick means that the Carolina Panthers – Get Whee! to deal with the Seahawks in what will be a much different offense when it's not, you know, what is going to be, 47 degrees, 50 what degrees? What a balmy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A, a Panthers fans. Uh, everyone who is getting in my timeline when I said that they have to be <laughs> – Where is this going? They have to be almost as disappointed as, as the Vikings fans when Walsh missed that kick. Uh, pipe down with all the hero worship. They're like, no, that's who we wanted. We wanted the Seahawks coming in. We feel good. First of all, that's crazy. <laughs> Why would you want to have a tougher matchup than playing a, a Packers team, for instance? With, with that's who would have been coming in. That's just stupid. You should want your team to have the best possible chance to play the Super Bowl. And then every other response was, did you see them today? They're not very good. Like, they barely beat the Vikings. This oh, game, come on. There's a word for this. What? Hubris. It doesn't matter what happened. I think the I probably am going to pick the Panthers to win that game. It's nothing about that. I think these are two of the best three or four teams in the league. But this game, it doesn't matter anymore. Next Not week. at all. This game no. was played in negative temperatures. You scored 10 points on Planet Hoth. You're going to be fine when you come back to you know, the nice south. Right. You're going you're to you're have crazy. perfect temperatures. And you're crazy to think that you would want the Seahawks. You got bad luck. You should be annoyed that the Cardinals, who are the two seed, have a much easier road to the Super Bowl than you do as the one seed. It's just how it falls sometimes, but that's what happened. Burn the game tape. It doesn't mean anything. Because no. Pete Carroll said this after the game. It was really a survival game for both teams. I don't think it's a measure of anything as far too. as your football, he said. Mm. I mean, I, that's... Burn the game tape. It doesn't matter. It was so cold there. Burn it to keep the, warm. I mean, let's get some. <laughs> Is that what that's called? Yaller horn? Is that how you pronounce it? That's oh, the it? gigantic horn. Yes, it uh, broke. Well, Greg wrote a story so on cold. it. So. You did. Yeah, I'm wow. expecting the, 
the politics. Did you use the word annoying as a modifier for the Goller Horn? All right. National Blog Association was all over that. Move on to our next game. By the way, sorry, Vikings fans, as we're moving on. I know. You had a great season. I think they have the foundation there. Before we move on, I do want to say I think they have the foundation there to be a really good team moving forward. I I know I just said that you can't always believe you're going to be back, but they do have a lot of young players. Eric Kendrick. Teddy Bridgewater, like really throughout the roster, they they're really built to last. They've drafted well the last three years, and noth- you know, there's no reason to d- to think they can't have another good draft and keep building. And Great they coach. should be moving on. I mean, one missed field goal, you shouldn't be that upset. I mean, yes, you should be that upset because you're not in the playoffs, but your team is in good shape. I think I give them like three or four months of like drunken devastation where really their lives are off track, and then they can get it together from there. Right around the draft time, once it gets over freezing again. I mean, they'll be talking about this game for 20 years. It's Gary Anderson-like on one level. The stakes are not as high, but this is one of those games that will be that replay. If you're Blair Walsh and Blair Walsh's children and his grandchildren, you're going to be dealing with this TV clip for a long time. Vikings fans are scary on Twitter. That's all I'm going to say. They're, you know who else, though, is? Bengals fans. Mm. Bengals, Bengals fans are scary in real life. They are. Let's move on to that game. <laughs> Let's go to Cincinnati in the fifth annual West of Us. All right, Wes, this game, <laughs> we've been waiting for it all year, and it came, and it was, it was a rousing success again. So – Let's talk about it. A wild, rainy game in Cincinnati between the Steelers and the Bengals, a game that featured an incredible catch, some vicious hits, critical turnovers, some questionable calls and non-calls, and emotional meltdowns by players and coaches as well. All right, West. this was a West of us to remember. This was the West of us to end all West of us. <laughs> it has to be, right? I mean, you could not script a more fascinating ending, unless it was that if Montez Perfect wasn't touched down and he really did just run out the end zone and get penalized, that would have been the best way to end it. <laughs> he but, ran, like, all the way to the locker room. But this was a pretty good ending, just a total uh, and comprehensive meltdown of discipline from two players who have been known to have meltdowns of disciplines in the in the past, and Vontez Perfect, who plays out of control, frankly, and I think has been for a couple of years the dirtiest player in the NFL. Mm. Playing against a team that th- is known to hit you and will play a little dirty themselves, Vontez Perfect went over the line, I think. Yeah, Greg, you texted us last night and said, this game has everything, and it seriously did. I mean, this n- you could not make any of this up. This had everything, and you look at – I mean, it almost felt like there were multiple games within the game because yeah. there were just so many different storylines and so many things that changed. But Vontez Perfect in this game and and the amount of roles – that he played in this drama was unbelievable. Right. Yeah. He injures Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, we're reporting Mike Silver is that it was a separated shoulder that Ben Roethlisberger wound up playing through at the end. We'll get to that. Perfect played a, a really good game for the most part, but that hit was insane. Not because it hit, you know, Brown in the head and that was a cheap shot. Who knows? He did go pretty low. Everyone is convinced that no matter what, he's definitely going for Antonio Brown's head. I don't know that. But the ball is clearly past Brown. And there's only 18 seconds left. And the ball's at the 47-yard line. And the Steelers don't have any timeouts at that point. So if that penalty doesn't happen, the Steelers have a really, really hard time winning that game. And for him... It just seemed like it was such an obvious penalty that was going to be called 20 times out of 20. For him to make that decision in the heat of the moment at that moment, and that ends up leading to the Adam Jones penalty, is absolutely insane. It has to be one of the most, if not the most, costly penalty in playoff history. I mean, can anyone come up with another penalty uh, in that sort of moment that's just a mental meltdown that immediately costs your team a a season, that the season is over, not to mention a team that hasn't won a playoff game in 26. Not only that, but I cannot believe the benefit of the doubt he's gotten from some people. When you watch Vontez Perfect week in and week out, yeah. he is going to twist knees, twist cleats, elbow you in the head. He is going to do stuff in the pile and after the play to hurt you. And it's totally in character for him to lower the boom on a, a defenseless receiver. I mean, and that wasn't the only thing that happened in this game. You have – First of all, Mike Malarkey 
polling Reggie. <laughs> what was that? Mike right. Munchak. Yeah. Right, Mike Munchak. Mike, Mike Malarkey. Yeah. Mike Munchak. I mean, that was unbelievable the way that he did <laughs> that. And then he acted like, oh, he was all innocent. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? Well, talk about a guy anything. that's suddenly on television for the wrong reason. And then he, and he knew in his mind that for the next two minutes, the cutbacks – the broadcast angles are going to be looking at him and he's kind of hemming and hawing on the sideline and like trying to get an assistant coach to be like, yeah, that was no big deal. Right. And no one would <laughs> give him any credit. You have Joey Porter in the middle of the field, in the middle of a Bengals huddle as well. Well, that's the thing. And we're going to play Adam Jones's rant on Instagram in just a minute. But Adam Jones was really fired up at that moment because, because Joey Porter is out there instigating and, Adam Jones deserves no credit and no uh, leniency for that moment of losing his mind, too, and winding up pushing the official. One thing has nothing to do with the other. But you still can point out the fact that Porter is acting like a clown by being out there. I don't care. That's his move. He's going to use it. Right. I don't care (laughs) if a player's injured on the field. I don't care what he's doing exactly. This is the same man who literally was doing a crab walk celebration (laughs) dance in Cincinnati. (laughs) Which was awesome. Which was awesome after a penalty flag (laughs) was thrown already for celebrating. That was what happened last time the Steelers were there. So Porter is an idiot, and he's lucky that he wasn't penalized. He should have been penalized. He shouldn't have been on the field. Those penalties should have offset. Sometimes it it happens that, that whatever happens with the officials changes the narrative. But imagine, if you will, that the officials just call the penalty on Porter right away and that it ends up being offsetting uh, between Burfecht and Porter, and you back it up to the 47. Everything different. All we're talking about today is how Joey Porter cost the Steelers a playoff game, and it would have been totally justified, but it didn't happen, and that's why Adam Jones was so fired up after the game. Ref did a horrible job. You got up, up. Jerry Porter in the middle of the field talking to everybody. <laughs> then when somebody say something to him, he don't even supposed to be on the field. All right, I'm good now. I've had my 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but I still don't believe I should have got a flag for talking to a coach that's on the field behind the huddle. That's my opinion. Well, I mean, it's frustrating because he's... <laughs> Those were he's, two separate Instagram posts, yeah, by the way. Yeah. The first one was deleted. He and then cooled the second down. one, yeah, cooled down. I mean, he's, it, as Greg just said so eloquently, I mean, he committed his own infraction, which Bengals fans will feel is ridiculous. But Joey Porter has been a nuisance for a decade plus, and I thought that when his playing days ended, we would be... <laughs> I, if, you, or if you watch a lot of AFC North games... That guy has been a pain in the butt for every team that plays him for a long time. A, because he was a great player, but now he's just annoying. And it's how many pregame fights were there with Joey Porter back in the days? Where oh, he's got that in. Right? I mean, this is, this is one guy that okay, you would have two Steelers coaches that were flagged in this playoff game had right. that happened. That would have been unprecedented. Bengals fans were whipped into a ridiculous frenzy all week by talk radio and the newspaper's coverage, the TV coverage in that city. I saw it on Facebook because all of my friends and family are there. They are convinced that the Steelers are the dirtiest team and they run the cleanest program, (laughs) and they are so smart and play great football. You dealt with – you you paid for a couple of idiots. And I I haven't been nuanced enough about Vontez Perfect. I've been watching this team for 40 years, and the Steelers come in and kick their butts every time because they have backbone and tough players. And Vontez Burfitt is that for the Bengals. He's their mean Joe Green. He's their James Harrison who's willing to get physical and dirty. If they had a few more Vontez Burfitts, they'd probably win this game. You're going to get the other side of it, though, too, and that cost them last night. Well, but you're right. They didn't back down. I mean, this was not the Steelers coming in and playing bully as they normally do, not on any level. Well, it was for three quarters. I mean, the Steelers are up 15 nothing. We think this is an absolute snooze fest right until the moment, really, that perfect uh, sacks Ben Roethlisberger that around everything. at the, the two-yard line. It's still 15 nothing at that point, by the way. That did start changing the tenor of the game. The Bengals come all the way back with a great fourth quarter. Everyone deserves credit in that, in that comeback, A.J. McCarron included. And then they get the ball back after picking off Landry Jones. And Jeremy Hill, all they have to do right there, as, as costly as the penalties were by Burfecht, the Hill fumble really is 
the more not unforgivable, but I think it's the costlier. They didn't need yards there. They just needed to run the clock, and he was going for yards. And well, they didn't have Gio Bernard because he was concussed early. Well, all yep. he had to do was not fumble. I don't mind them going for yards. He got six yards on the play, four more yards, and the game is literally over. I mean, they're going to be able to burn the timeouts. He got six yards. That's a first down run. They get 10 yards in the next two plays. The game's over. But you just you can't fumble it. No matter what you do, you can't fumble it. And Ryan Shazier had an awesome game, and that was the, the best and biggest play of that game. I mean, he should be the hero. In His hit on Geo, I thought that's like sort of when the wheels fell off and all the emotions really started to just like bubble it over. It really got out of control. And it is, it is interesting that in the fo- following 24 hours, there were reports that Maybe the Bengals would decide to remove Marvin Lewis and elevate Hugh Jackson. And one of the issues with Marvin Lewis was players in the locker room afterwards saying that there's not anyone taking control of this group of players, especially on defense, and that it's not an issue just in this game, but it's been an issue ongoing for a while. Yeah, and the perfect hit on Ben Roethlisberger specifically, we saw Bengals fans throwing all sorts of stuff at him and booing, but when you talk about the way that the offense performed without him and with Landry Jones in there, it was like the Bengals defense, there was blood in the water and they knew that they could come back. And this was their, this was their home. And if they don't have the Steelers don't have Ben Roethlisberger going forward, that's a major, major problem. Or Antonio, Antonio Brown, Brown as well. Yeah. yeah. The Bengals oh. white might wind up taking out the Steelers. Uh, it just might be a week later. <laughs> I mean, it really, it really is. I, I still can't say enough, though, about Shazier. I mean, he is something else. There are not many linebackers that, I've, e- tackles that I've ever game. seen like him in terms Nobody, of – Nobody – I mean, who moves like him? That's what I'm saying. No. The, the speed is just insane, and everyone was killing me on Twitter again for com- – A lot of anti-Greg stuff happening on Twitter, <laughs> it sounds like. Or you, or you have a complex about it. It's a little bit of all. <laughs> because I thought the Shazier hit on Bernard was clean – and there was a lot of question about whether he launched or not, whether that should have been a penalty. There were some ex-officials that got on Twitter and said that should have been a penalty. Then again, Pereira said the exact opposite. My car- so there was a disagreement whether that hit was dirty. But I think it, it was part of a game that he was just vicious. Whatever you want to call it, he, he was vicious in that game, and it was a big reason why they won. I want to say one quick thing because I know the Bengals fans in the stadium, and, and to some degree there were a lot of clowns in there, obviously, but I actually had more of a Westivus evening, I think, than Wes, because Wes was on, at home strapped to a laptop having to report this game for some reason. And I was actually at a very uh, intriguing dive bar not far from our office that somehow was filled with – Oh, look at this. Yeah, that's, that's last year's that's Westivus. Last, yeah, that's last year. That's last year. My so friend Philadelphia and Liz Lowe's a good friend. If you're watching on, on YouTube, and you can, you can check it out on our YouTube playlist, if you want to see Wes – with uh, the eyes of a man that's been enjoying West of it. <laughs> Please check, check it I out. I missed that hat. My old train wrecks hat. This year's photo would have been Wes in like a darkened room with a lap, the light of a laptop on his face. But, I mean, I, I was you with You carried a, on the tradition. I tried to the best I could. I was in a, in a dive bar filled with probably 15 to 20 Bengals fans, and now we're bringing this completely tone-deaf music back to the, one of the most violent I- NFL games I've ever seen in my life. That's that's fine. But I will like these guys, I felt for them. I completely felt for these fans and the music rages on. I'm not sure why. But it, it they were defeated from the first minute the game showed any sense of going wrong. And I, it felt to me like sitting with Browns fans, honestly, because you just wow. expect the worst to happen. And at one point I had to move away and go to another edge of the room and just watch the game on my own. But as it began to crumble and when it finally took its final turn, I looked back and just the sadness and that side of the bar, it, it was unbelievable. Well, imagine if you're, I a feel Beng- for them. if you're a Bengals fan, you've probably turned off this podcast like the minute we went into this West of this intro because we're just probably. having so much glee at a team's misfortune. I mean, this is the same podcast. Like, we're afraid. Like, if the Browns lose or the Jets lose, like, we're afraid to even mention it. Like, we can't. Like, we were going to do. Oh, well, we've out. mentioned it plenty of times. You know what I mean, though. Yeah. We're, we're sensitive to a fan right after the game, especially after a big loss that, right. that they're feeling it. Like, well, and yeah, they Bengals thought that team, they were going to win that game. I yes. thought it. Everybody thought this it. This is another level of losing. The stat that they've never come from behind to win any playoff game. Any deficit. So that means they've never even so come sad. from behind to be down 3 nothing in the first quarter and win the game. And so that shows 
that there's no like there's no thing that they can look back on than their team had fight. And yet this is a game they were down fifteen nothing in the fourth quarter with their backup quarterback, AJ McCarron. And for this to be the win where they finally get uh, the Schneid off for 26 years. I mean, it was going to be an incredible moment. <laughs> it was going to be the be- like the, one of the best Bengals moments ever. And then oh, for it to end this happen. way is so devastating. West of us our, on. Our poor friend Michael Berger, who's been on this show, looked like a shell of himself today in the office. He was so sad. It made me think differently a little bit. The Bengals are Charlie Brown, and football is Lucy pulling the ball away. I mean, that's the playoffs. It's it, and I know there's a disconnect. You guys always wonder how can I enjoy the misery of my family and friends. <laughs> well, look, here's the thing. I don't have to prove my fandom. I wrote a love letter to the Bengals organization with Ohio River offense in the off season. I have fond memories, but I knew like in the '90s I had to get out. I had to get out. You, you know, the Bengals went and we broke up. They broke my heart. They went and they got collagen lips and fake boobs, and everybody falls for them. I hate when that happens. Everybody falls for them, but they're not that pretty, and I don't trust them. And I have, to me, they're a source of endless amusement, not a source of hope. And I understand if other Bengals see them as a source of hope, I think they're hilarious, and I find the whole West of its thing endlessly amusing. I just love every minute of it. I was downright giddy. And if you guys want to keep seeing the Bengals as a source of hope, that's on you. Well, if you don't laugh, you cry. So I Greg's get it. shaking his head. Well, I, I'm thinking back to your tone, your tone deaf music. Comment. I think they're another year. Comment. We're getting trolled by the, the producers books. group, and I love it. Well, All right. I would just like to say one last thing about. Wes. And then we must move on. Then we must move on. I was just I, celebrating the holiday. All right. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> Fair I appreciate enough. it because it's an international holiday now. I got exactly. tweets before the game from people in Brazil. Ireland, New Zealand, Norway, Sweden. Everybody's got their drinks out. What do I do to celebrate? What should I cook? How do I celebrate West of Us? And after the game, I must have gotten a thousand tweets. It was our listeners are the best. I love you guys. They are awesome. I appreciate how much you all enjoy my enjoyment. And you guys are really nice, too, by the way. All right, let's move on to our final game, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans. Whoa, wild card weekend kicked off with a crazy 106-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Niall Davis. Brian Hoyer followed that up with a disastrous day, committing four turnovers on his first six possessions. The Texans' tailspin continued from there, ending in a 30-point shutout at home. So the Kansas City Chiefs have now won 11 straight, but with Jeremy Macklin day-to-day dealing with a high ankle sprain, that's a major blow to the KC offense. Mark? Well, I just want to talk about one thing, and it's it's the fact that the Texans, which I do think have been a well-coached team under Bill O'Brien and, and have done a lot with a little, so there's your credit. But <laughs> Well, it. no, because that's the case. But th- there, when we talk about what the playoffs need and, and, and how to fix the playoffs in some areas, you know, we got some bad games this weekend, and this was one of the worst playoff games. I, I've been watching football since 1984, and this is one of the worst in least competitive playoff games and least dramatic football events I've ever seen with my eyes. And I would never want to watch this again in the playoffs. It was in, and Greg, you mentioned it was the third highest rated Saturday playoff game, Saturday afternoon, Saturday afternoon playoff game. (laughs) I was shocked. by And I, I just see that as the fact that the audience continues to grow. It is not because there was even a compelling element to this game. And it starts and ends with Brian Hoyer, who look at Brian Hoyer is a, is a nice person by all accounts. It's not a personal thing. But your job as a quarterback in a game like this, when you have this kind of an offense, if you're not going to take command and you can't do that and you're not going to target DeAndre Hopkins enough, you've got to manage this thing and not make mistakes. And from the first pass, he looked completely lost at sea to me. The interceptions were not tips. They were not deflections. They were not someone else's fault. They were his fault. They were terrible throws. And... You know, I wrote a column basically saying that the Texans will never change this Bill O'Brien team until they start finding something other than Flotsam to be their quarterback. This group of hobby horses, (laughs) Flotsam and Jetsam, this group of hobby horses that they wheel out every season is ridiculous. And these are just a group of backup quarterbacks thrust into this position. And you, people were tweeting saying it's I not fair. I thought Brandon Whedon was going to get in there. But that's see, that's the point. The fact that a stadium full of people were cheering for Brandon Whedon to come save the day is a problem. And, and people were saying, oh, well, you're not giving enough credit or enough blame to the Texans' defense and other – what are you talking about? The Texans' defense actually did a good job Great with time. what they were handed. So, 
you can't have a quarterback do this. The game was a disaster. It was not fun to watch. It could not have ended quickly enough, and I'm glad it ended. Why did you hate this game so much? Well, <laughs> number one, number one, I like was like, Venom. no, because because You've been going I, for seven minutes. <laughs> I had been on this on the desk for a long time, and I knew this was the final part of the day. And I couldn't. I just wanted it to be fun, if anything, or be a blowout. It was a blowout, and the Texans proved they did not. They were not up for the the billing on any level. They did not deserve to be in the playoffs. I feel bad for Jets fans. I am ashamed that I picked the Texans to win, and I think that <laughs> no, the, you're not alone. The preview I wrote for this game might be the worst article I've ever written. That I spent <laughs> so much time trying to find a reason for the Texans to be competitive, and they, like you said, Brian Hoyer. Look, he might be a nice guy, but. And it's hard to judge these things from home, but you look at him, and from the opening whistle, he appears to be jittery. He's oh. got he's got nerves early on. There's no doubt. He missed his first couple throws. They weren't interceptions, but he missed them by a mile, and they were wide And open. they give him an easy completion to get him going, which is good coaching, and then he can't ever regain his confidence from there. Well, this is a bad team, and you said this is one of the worst playoff games that you've seen. This has to be one of the worst teams to have made the playoffs, the Texans. Because they were under 500 by a couple games outside of one of the worst divisions I've ever seen this year's AFC South. Mm. I mean that that is a terrible division. Uh, I believe this is a team that crumbles in a lot of situations when they start falling behind. I know this was earlier in the season, but they get blasted by the Falcons. They get blasted by the Dolphins. They get blasted by the Patriots. This is a team that in many games this season weren't particularly competitive. Now, on the other hand, you can you kind of if you're the rest of the if you're the other 52 guys, there's not a lot you can do about this kind of Brian Hoyer showing up. You know what you I can, mean? You can't. I mean, he just was so bad. It was the worst game of his career, I'm sure. It was certainly the worst game of his season. He's been solid this season. He played he, bad, but I mean, how much of that was the Chiefs defense as well? Now, I know like he's he is no good, but how much was that exacerbated by the Chiefs defense? The Chiefs, we've gone all this time talking about the Texans. The Chiefs at this point have won 11 straight, and that defense looks insanely good. I think they're right there with the best defenses in the league, and they did exactly what you would want them to do against a team with very little uh, talent. They dominated. I mean, they're good at every level. Justin Houston supposed to be their best player, and he doesn't even seem right. He doesn't. Coming off a knee injury, and yet you've got Don Terry Poe, you've got Derek Johnson, you've got Marcus Peters, Sean Smith. Alan Bailey had, had a, a really good game. game. Alan Bailey had a good game. You know, Jay Howard. Your boy, Jay Howard. Contract it, year. It's a great defense, and they're and they're going up against a Patriots team who struggled on offense. And I mean, I think they're as good as any defense in the NFL. That's going to be an interesting game. I really do. I agree. So, I mean, they did everything they needed to do. They yeah. swarmed to the ball it, it, like no other defense in, in the playoffs. They swarmed to the ball. Bob Sutton, I mean, if Bob Sutton was 20 years younger and he had half the mouth that the people he used to work for, Rex <laughs> Ryan and Mike Pettin did, people would be talking about him as some great coach. I mean, he's the best coach right now from that crew. Right? Absolutely. Maybe he's not the best coach, but he's – Well, he's the only one that made that defense. He's not running that defense exactly, but no. to make you know the core of that defense work this season and the people that taught it to him, complete, tr he's complete junk. The, he's having the best season. And this is a team with a long, long playoff drought too. So they, their fans should should enjoy the he you know hell out of this. And the Chiefs, to me, I mean, they should have been up way more than 13 nothing at the half. They wasted some really good yeah. field position. They only had, what, like four points off of – six points off of four turnovers. I mean, there's really no excuse for that. They obviously came out and it was a blowout, but it should have been even more of a blowout. They did an excellent job by how they dealt with J.J. Watt, I thought, too, where there were even plays where he wasn't even blocked, and they let him pursue and be aggressive the way he is, and they'd have – a zone run to the complete opposite direction. They just kind of let, they baited him. And I'm not saying he fell for it. He didn't at all. But, what, you know, what can you do? He's going to pursue and chase. And they, they well, other teams have not been able to do that. The Chiefs are very well coached on offense. They're just not extremely talented on offense. Yeah. But they got the job done. But they, they have one of the most talented tight ends or receivers in the league in Travis Kelsey, 128 yards on a day where they only had 190 yards. Receiving. Wow. <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, well, that, it was his first hundred-yard game since the last time they played the Texans. But it, yeah, just watching him, the way he plays, Alex Smith. You know, you saw the what you don't like about the Chiefs' offense in the first half, but a lot of third-down throws short of the sticks, where then they ended up punting. But you didn't see any big mistakes except the early interception from Smith. And then the second half, they kind of did what they do. They got a couple long touchdown drives, and it was basically the same Chiefs game that we see every week: two or three 
long, nice drives, and then you just avoid some mistakes, let the defense do the rest, and it's worked for 11 straight weeks. And I love what I've seen from Spencer Ware the last couple of months. He's running really well. He's prototypical power back and clock killer at the end. But this offense, Jeremy Macklin's injury, he's one of the most valuable number one receivers in the NFL just because of what's behind him. Yeah. yeah. Albert Wilson is your number two. A rookie, Chris Connolly, who's playing a little bit better lately, is your number three. Those guys have to come up and be your starters. I would be shocked if, if Macklin plays on a high ankle sprain. Yeah, at that, I mean, that's a huge loss for them, and it was so sad to see that. I mean, it, it was almost like he knew at that point that he was done just based on his expression. But that's no good for them because if they're taking on the Patriots, they have Patrick Chung, who's been Well, really they have Tom Brady who has a high ankle sprain too. <laughs> exactly. But if you're talking about Travis Kelsey coming in and – replacing his production or trying to Patrick Chung is going to I mean he's been able to shut down tight ends really well all year yeah you got Chung you have McCordy and you got Belichick who tries to stop the the star on the other team and that's definitely Kelsey I think even more than the running game I think they'll take their chances uh, that their run defense which has been pretty good can hold up against Kansas City and they'll, they'll give Kelsey as much attention as the Chiefs give Gronkowski but but that's for next week do that we, do we think this Texans team – I I feel like of all the teams that lost in the playoffs, they're kind of the most hopeless, like where they don't really feel particularly good. Well, you don't have a quarterback. You're a lot – you're a lot – you're very much like a bunch of teams that didn't make the playoffs. They had two of the ten best players in the NFL this year. Hmm. But like you said, they seem hopeless because without a quarterback, you're nothing. I mean, I, maybe I mean, J.J. Watt can uh, take over that. Not from what that we ridiculous saw. Trick play. <laughs> that that yeah, we didn't even talk about that. I mean, I think Bill O'Brien should take some of the blame for this game, too. But overall, I think they have hope at the coaching position. They've I, got a good coach. I, the one thing I thought people really killed Bill O'Brien for that J.J. Watt play, and to me, I was like, have you watched Brian Hoyer play? It's, That's it's a better you, option. That, no, but not joking around. That's when you break out some crazy stuff. Yeah. And is which is you, what they've been doing. Is when you have no confidence in your quarterback, and he had no confidence at that point, and he shouldn't have. So it, well, and it to your point, it Hoyer. It didn't bother me. It just didn't work. Well, I thought it was a little cute. I don't think it was in a big spot where they absolutely needed a touchdown. What would have It would have given Brian Hoyer some confidence. Instead, it was a botched effort. But the next play, Hoyer comes out and throws a pick. Right. John so, McClain you know. of the Houston Chronicle had the line of the day. It was something like, Watt following Wilfork in the same play? The only place the only place Watt follows Wilfork is in the Killens barbecue. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of American Hoyer story out yeah. there. Yeah. So that was a good one. I um, feel bad for like when, a per- when, when this happens to a person like that, or if you're Blair Walsh. What do you do? That you grow night? from it. I guess you, you hurt. Grow, you I mean, hurt for a long time. It leaves a terrible scar that will never leave, and then you grow from. Well, it. you're also you a millionaire, so you like book a flight to like an island where you don't so, read Twitter for three weeks. So if, you if know. they were women, they this, now they would be eligible for you to date them because you They'd only be slightly flawed, flawed but, yeah. date but women it, with scars. But that's how you. That's how you approach this. Is this person going to quit and give up and become broken beyond repair? Or are they going to stay slightly flawed and grow from the experience? Well, Greg, that's actually a great point. You had a date on uh, <laughs> Friday. With the you? mushroom cutter. How did that go? <laughs> it went, it was peculiar, but it went really well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it went it was really a well. That's what I heard. experience, but it ended up being fun. Yeah. That's right. what I would want to hear if I was here and listening to this podcast. It went, it was uh, peculiar. Well, look, she ought to know. <laughs> Now she knows. <laughs> Mushroom cutter. All right. Well, this has been quite a day, everybody. Um, I think uh, Dan is going to be back hopefully soon. Dan, please get back here. Flying back right now, I think. Unless, he is. Unless he gets signed to play shortstop in the winter league. He may stay there for winter ball, come back in, in March. I, I, has anybody yeah. heard from him? Uh, a couple, three days ago, vaguely. There he is. Yeah, I think he's he's should be back in a couple in. hours and save Just travels like to Dan. There's been a precedent sent that when one of us is on vacation in a tropical locale, you're not to text him. Oh, uh. okay. Well, hopefully he is recharged, refreshed, <laughs> and ready to go and ready to host this podcast when he gets back. Guys, this has been great. This has been real. What an awesome weekend of football it's been. Great job by Colleen, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Colleen. Colleen. Well Hi. done, Colleen. Well done. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. It's been real. <laughs> I'm just trying not to mess up. So let's uh, <laughs> let's get the show on the road, everybody. Have a great week. Oh, look, there's the awkward ISO cam. Awesome. That's back again. Great. So that is it for this edition of the Around the NFL podcast. For everybody, we'll see you later.
freaks and geeks, what is up? Why don't you check out the NFL Fantasy Live podcast? Yeah, NFL Fantasy Live podcast is Tuesdays and Fridays. You can find it on iTunes, on NFL.com. We always give you the top waiver wire pickups, starts and sits, everything you need Matchups, to win a championship. Everything. A lot of okay. Star Wars stuff. Yeah. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll wear a tie and eat yogurt. It's great. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> All right, the whiz kid from Wisconsin, MG, Marcus Grant, Michael Fabiano, and me, James Coe, every Tuesday and Friday on the NFL Fantasy Live podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com.com slash compatibility.